This here's UnkView.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of UnkView. We're back in black. I don't know the rest of that song, so I can't finish that joke. <laughs> so we're starting off on the wrong foot. Again. <laughs> right. Well, we always like to start off on the wrong foot because we like to continue on that wrong foot for the totality of the show. Joining me today, as always, is my nephew from a different word that rhymes with nephew, Brendan Lemon. <laughs> yeah. Yo, it's my uncle from a different monkle. <laughs> I think, you know, we've had a lot of rough starts to shows, but I think we're, I think we're either setting it, we're raising the bar or lowering the bar. I think we, we yeah. Whichever you I, just, prefer. I think I just heard us bottom out. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I did. I, I heard that. I, I heard that bottom. Out. I think maybe we lost a muffler, but I'll have to check back later. Uh, so anyway, we, we we're coming at you today with our usual lineup of completely uninteresting and poorly articulated concepts and topics. And we'd like to start with something. Actually, Brendan, you turned me on to this idea or this concept a while ago. And it's funny because um, you know how sometimes you just run into an idea that just sticks with you or resonates with you for some reason. You don't really necessarily know why it does. You just know that it does. This is absolutely one of those things because it shocked me that I'd never heard of it. And secondly, it's just so, in my opinion, timely for where we are in the world today. And the idea, well, the concept is called the doctrine of charity. So Brendan, why don't you explain what that is exactly and how you became aware of it? Yeah. So, okay. So just to briefly describe it, basically the, the, the doctrine of charity comes from, so my degree is in philosophy uh, because I wanted to major in asking really good questions. Like, do you have any change? Right. Uh, so exactly, you wanted to make sure that you could limit your future income as much as possible. Uh, I just as I, as as I, I didn't want too much earning potential. Um, I wanted I, a lot of time like for that. thinking and not earning. So anyway, the but the the one of the hallmarks of, of of philosophy is when you're in a conversation with somebody or when you're in an argument. The doctrine of charity is what you use to describe that whatever someone meant, whatever someone said you're going to grant them the best interpretation of what they said. So if somebody said something, in, in, in the way that this plays out, in the way that, that my uncle's talking about this, and the way that you, that it, it keeps coming up like in our lives, is that, you know, for example, if I was in conversation with somebody and I said, um, you know, I uh, I was talking to to John and you know he said these sorts of things and you know I mean I can appreciate that that's his perspective you know he's black after all and he and it like for some reason we were talking about something that had like race as a subject and I happened to reference the fact that the guy I was speaking with was black the the doctrine of charity would say that well I'm mentioning that because it's relevant to the conversation and and that's all like his perspective is relevant to the conversation as a black person and I don't mean anything else by it but what tends to happen and I can already feel this is happening with probably listeners of this podcast is like oh it's happening with it's dude it's happening with me yeah well yeah because this is the world we live in now where somebody's going well why did he say that like why why did you just what's the reason that you mentioned that and and there's like a weird dive into well why did you say black why didn't you say african american why didn't you say 
you know, any of these other types of things. And, and it, it, it become and the reason this is important in the field of philosophy and the reason that this is important sort of in terms of having political conversations is that it, it becomes functionally impossible to have a real conversation because if someone is 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 constantly word policing or is or if you say something they're taking you at your worst possible meaning it be, you, the conversation becomes about you defending yourself versus having a productive conversation with people with someone else uh, about a subject that might be relevant or important my personal definition would be giving people the benefit, benefit of, of the, the doubt. doubt in every scenario and assuming that they meant the best possible version of whatever they said because you know in the and and as Brennan started to say why you know one of the reasons it's so relevant today is because so much of our of our discourse with other people happens online and it happens in a written form yep. and you know we know what we meant when we wrote that sentence but it's very difficult for most of us, if not all of us, if we're truly honest about our lack of true objectivity, it's really hard to step into anyone else's shoes, even when we think we are or that we think we can. It's just difficult. Like I, and I spend so much time thinking about this, and I always have. When, when I, I do a ton of writing, I've always been a very prolific writer. And one of the filters that I use before I publish anything, even a Facebook comment, I will try to read that comment or whatever I've written. I will try to read that and, and try to divorce myself from myself as much as I can to say, I'm reading this cold. I don't know anything about anything. I'm just reading this blind. How could I possibly misinterpret this? Or how could I misconstrue the tone? Or what could I possibly get wrong about what I've written? Yeah. And it's amazing how often I will revise something purely because I put that lens on and I, and I like to think that I have it on all the time. But my point simply is, when we really focus in on that, it's amazing how differently stuff we write and say can be interpreted. Oh, completely. I think the best example of this, I think I got a huge lesson in this when I was in high school because somebody, my freshman year of high school, somebody published an op-ed in the Plymouth Canton Educational Park newspaper, student newspaper and that you down with PCEP? Yeah. <laughs> the article was about uh, Black History Month, and it was a bewilderingly proficient display of a lack of tact on the part of the writer. Uh, who basic? I don't know. Remember who this was? It wasn't me. I should just say, just to be clear. But the <laughs> article basically was saying that at, the point of the article was. It's it's ridiculous to have a Black History Month because we should really have, you know, we should be, we should move beyond the idea of race being a factor, you know, for people's uh, for for just for people. We should move past it. All year should be Black History Year, just like all year is, you know, White History Year and, and, and Native American History Year, and just like everything should we should just move beyond it and appreciate people. But it was so poorly worded because it was written by a fucking 17-year-old that it read like there was some kind of chip on his shoulder that was attempting to be like, look, and I, like one line was in the actually read verbatim, if they want a race war, they have it. But the they he's referring to are people who want to cling on to old ideas of race rather than move beyond it, not black people 
who want a Black History Month. I mean, just just to be clear, that's that was the complete misinterpretation of what somebody. It just was so poorly worded. That's what it said. So. This obviously went off like a fucking nuclear bomb at my high school. <laughs> it was like, right. I mean, I went to one of the most diverse high schools, which was great. I mean, I loved it. I was in diversity council. It was one of the best parts of going to that high school was that you just you were surrounded by so many cool and different people who sometimes literally were from all over the world. And what I think this guy was trying to do was positive. But what he ended up doing was just making a giant mess. And I think this guy had to leave school and had to like, he might've even had to leave the school like period, like just couldn't go to school at the Plymouth Canton anymore because this just was so polarizing and crazy of a, of a, um, of a story. But just wow. to get to the point is it was like the, there was no doctrine of charity. Like if you, like on a cold reading of this, you would have gone, Oh, this is just, a high schooler who's doing a bad job writing. I mean, the fact that really the person who should be at fault is the edit, whoever was the editor of the student newspaper <laughs> mm-hmm. for right. allowing that to be published so poorly worded. So anyway, this this is exactly, but this is the problem. There could be a productive conversation that someone could have around the idea of being like, maybe we should let go of Black History Month in favor of you know, having just uh, uh, taking the value of trying to see diversity in history throughout the entire year. Uh, but that's impossible because the guy who wrote the article just looks like a racist and we're just going to call him one uh, because he wrote it so poorly. Yeah. I, there's all this comes up all over the place. And I think the other oh, part. It does. The other part I want to mention, though, is that just because it's relevant, it's like this <laughs> totally happens to my dad a little bit, not in terms of race, but my dad sometimes like I have a lot of, you know, I live in Chicago, I have a lot of gay friends and sometimes and my dad, who lives in northern Michigan, sometimes refers to them as the gays, <laughs> which is like, okay, nobody would ever you should like if I ever said that around Chicago, I would either have to say it ironically, or people would be like, "What the hell? What's wrong with you? Like, why are you saying that that way?" It, it seems like you're trying to, you know, objectify or other other group this group of people. I say this only. I bring it up only to say that like, there's no freaking way my dad means anything bad about it at all. He just right. doesn't understand because of a lack of exposure to you know, as much gay culture as I have exposure to by proximity, he just doesn't understand how that comes off. And I feel like that's the kind of thing that we're dealing with in the world is that there's people who are super progressive, who have really good, a lot of the time, uh, intentions and motivations, who are, I think, sometimes trying to uh, stop the conversation from occurring because they are taking issue with points that people aren't aren't making if that makes sense oh yeah that's you know it's like there's uh, i've literally i have like three different major responses i want to give to what you just said but we can't really do all of those things and i'm actually having a hard time sorting out what i want to say here because you said so many things that warrant uh, a response i mean we have the we have the first thought i had was you know your dad who again lives in relative isolation at least in comparison to you yeah um uh you know he can't keep pace with 
the cultural changes that are happening so rapidly in the world today oh, yeah. that you can, because one, you live in it, and two, you're probably a lot more plugged in. In fact, I don't even think your dad has a Facebook account. No, he doesn't. But, you know, you're plugged <laughs> into social media. You're plugged into social media, and you live in one of the, the most major markets in the world. Yeah. And one of the markets, like in New York, or Los Angeles, Chicago, San Francisco, you know, Paris, dot, 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 those other cities where where the change is happening cutting edge, you're right there in it. Plus, you know, you're in stand-up comedy, which is another place where, I mean, that is the most cutting edge, one of the most cutting edge, uh, you know, segments of a culture is what is comedy doing? What does comedy think about things? So there's one, there's a, there's a gap that happens just because of lifestyle choice. He oh, lives yeah. in a small town in Northern Michigan. You live in a major city. So that there's that. Then you have your age versus his age. Then you have the fact that you're in comedy and he isn't. And all these different things where, you know, part, to me, part of the doctrine of charity is not just accounting for uh, what somebody really meant by what they wrote or said, but there's also the taking into consideration of things like I just said. In other words, this guy's coming from a different place. This guy's coming from a place where the gaze is not, there's nothing wrong with that statement in his world. So you, we, as a listener to a comment he might make, should be taking that into consideration. So there's one thought I had. Another thought I have is just how, you know, we've got this, um, I, there's probably a term for it, but I'm, I'm becoming more and more distanced from this whole, you know, this whole larger conversation, which is something, ironically, we're going to talk about next. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it, that, that, that's, that wasn't planned. This wasn't planned. This is just happening organically. But it's the um, the fact that, so many people shout, so many people are looking to be triggered. They are actively looking for reasons to be triggered. And that is the exact opposite and antithesis of this whole concept of the doctrine of charity, which is why I personally think the world needs this so much right now. Because, you know, has, has, has public discourse ever been at a lower point in American history. Now, granted, you and I weren't, haven't been here for all of American history, but we've been here for the part where, you know, at least a good chunk of the part where, you know, there's, there's very lively and timely and active communication among strangers in a public forum. That didn't exist really before social media. I mean, That's it true. did, but like what, letters, letters to the editor. I mean, there wasn't the ability for there to be a piling on, you know what I mean? Like you get like a hundred comments on somebody, you motherfucking racist. I've lost count of how many times I've been called a racist recently. And if you read what I wrote, never once was there any racist intent on what I said. And I would even argue that if you read what I wrote, you wouldn't misinterpret it that way. I, My point is, I mean, this there is just, are people. Yeah, you're totally there correct. There are people, their entire, it seems to me their entire reason for living is they just want to, they want to look and say, okay, Who's this asshole that's commenting? I'm going to click on his profile. Oh, he owns a business. He lives in, you know, I don't know, someplace that probably is predominantly white. Well, then this motherfucker's got to be racist. So it doesn't really matter what he said. I'm just going to call him a racist. And I'm just going to use that as a weapon, which is, that's another whole topic. People just, that play the race card at the drop of, not even the drop of a hat, at just like the reaching for the hat. You know, like, it's just crazy how far we've gotten away from civility. And that, that brings us back to the real point we're talking about here, which is, I think, 
the, the, the active practicing of the doctrine of charity by a culture would be one of the things that could save that culture when it's going off the rails like ours is now. Yeah. Well, I, I, I just, so Jonathan Haidt, I know we, we've got like other topics we want to move on to, but Jonathan Haidt, I would just encourage you and anybody listening, uh, H-A-I-D-T is a professor of, uh, of psychology at the Stern School of Business at NYU. He has um, done a ton of research about this and and really is a fascinating guy. He talks a lot about the social value of, if you're a progressive person, the social value of being triggered or the social value of basically attack what he calls call-out culture and like calling out others and why people do that. It's super fascinating to listen to. And uh, he just recently gave a talk at the University of Colorado in, um, uh, not Boulder, uh, Colorado Springs, and it's on YouTube. Super interesting talk, though. I would everybody should should take a look at it because because you're exactly right. We need to get to a place where we go. This isn't evil. That's a faux pas, or that's a some right. people can make mistakes. We have to give each other permission to do that, you know, and to be wrong. You know what I mean? Like it, it, we have to give other per- oh, yeah. people permission to be wrong and to and to go. You know what? I'm sorry. I didn't think about it like that. Well, you know, I, I'm so glad you said that because, well, one, I think we need to do a whole show on this. I wrote down virtual signaling, call out culture. I've never heard of the expression call out culture, but it's hand in hand with virtue signaling. Those are those are like you know opposite sides of the same coin, or maybe the same side. Uh, actually, it's the same side of the same coin, maybe just a different way of saying the same thing. Sure. That, to me, is a really important topic that, you know, uh, that is sort of one of the reasons that's led me to cut down on my social media um, efforts or, 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 or investment so much, which is our next topic. Um, oh, God, I, just, I lost my train of thought there. Oh, oh. And then another thing I think we need to cover in more detail is how do we get away from how do we get away from the, the, the idea? that in a free culture, in a free speech society, that every person has the right to be flat out wrong, period. Mm, mm. I mean, for example, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the most explosive, you know, uh, in my opinion, in this culture, it should be complete. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not advocating for this. I want to be really clear. I'm not saying people should be like this. I'm saying by law, they should be allowed to be like this. People should be allowed to be blatantly racist. Yeah, and, it, it's, and it, right. it's weird because Jonathan Haidt even talks about this. Sorry, I, just to agree with your point, though, is that like it, it's better to if you are in if you're for creating a world in which people that has inclusion and has uh, and has and 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 wants to include people and and has you know let's say just equality and for everybody you want people who disagree with that to be open about their disagreements it's it's better if people feel like they can voice that opinion rather than take it underground and don't feel that they can do it because it actually gets more difficult for everyone once that happens well yeah and that's the very definition of not free speech i mean free speech is all about being able to say whatever you want without you know without i don't want to say without fear of any repercussion. I mean, we all have to be held accountable for things that we say and do. But but again, I'll repeat, I think by law, and I want to repeat again, 
I'm not advocating it at all. I'm simply saying I personally don't have an issue. If somebody says straight up to me, you know, I just hate white people. Yeah, I just hate them. Um, on one hand, of course, I disagree with that, but <laughs> I have no issue. I have no issue with someone saying that. Yeah, I, I would never deny them their right. I mean, I would argue with them. I would try to change their mind, but I wouldn't hate them because they had that opinion. And I think that's we've lost that to such an extent now. You know, and not only that, but another like a, you know extension of that thought is uh, who makes the rules? Yeah, who decides? Who decides that's racist or that isn't? And that's why the, that's why you we have to have black and white rules. In the sense that either either it's free speech for everyone all the time. I mean, of course, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. I mean, there's always that exception. But short of that, we should all be able to say what we want to say, and that should be completely legal. It's not a hate crime to to be prejudiced. That's not a hate crime. You're not hurting somebody else as long as you're not hurting someone else, as long as you're not discriminating. I mean, it's possible. It's very possible. For people to be bigoted but not discriminate, people yeah. can secretly hate hate other people. But as long as their public behavior, as long as their legal behavior, like they're not denying somebody a job or they're not harming someone, they have the right to feel whatever they want to feel, think whatever they think, as long as they don't break the law. And we've just moved so far from that. Yeah, I, I, and I think that the part of the problem with this is that if people don't feel like they can talk about this. That their real their real thoughts and feelings, none of that stuff will ever, there none of those people will ever be engaged. And you know, what I mean, yep, you, the, we can we can we can believe that these, you know, that the values are good. But if we're not willing to engage with people who disagree with them, then I guess we're never really testing them at all. Yeah, and and now and now we also have this. You know, you mentioned this call out culture. Uh, now we also have cancel culture which is the you know which to me is like the ultimate manifestation of the call out culture is you know we're just going to erase you uh and and I'm I'm so not current with current events uh and, and I'm I'm a little bit embarrassed by that but again we're going to talk about that in a second why yeah. that is yeah well you but, got a lot like, going for on for example <laughs> well for example um there was and again I don't even know the names of the people but somebody who had some you know multi million um, uh, follower count on Instagram. I don't even know what the person said or did. I just know that I saw other people that I know to be like major players, you know, in social media, Instagram, who were like, who were commenting saying, well, you know, I disagree with the fact that his follower count went from 7 million, I think was the actual number, Jeez. 7 million down to like 7 million down to less than a million, I think in a day or two. Or, or, oh, wait, I'm sorry. That was that was a bad example. I'll give you a much better example that I think a lot more people would know. Okay. Logan Paul. Oh, yeah. You know, that's, you know, so you, now this is not timely. This happened like a year ago or maybe longer. Yeah. But, you know, he, I think I knew you know what I'm talking about? He, he, yep. He, he, he made a video in that there's a famous forest in Japan where lots of people go to kill themselves. And he made this video of him standing with, in the backdrop, there's somebody hanging from a tree. Yeah, there's actual, there's just he, dead bodies all around him because of this suicide forest, which is where he went to. <laughs> oh my right, God. right. What and a, he makes this video, and I've wa I watched the video, and it, it, to be honest with you, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not defending it at all. 
but it's not nearly as in the poor taste that you'd be led to believe by the reaction. Yeah, yeah, that's and what. So okay, I, that, that's fair. I would say like it's an amazing yeah. display of a lack of tact, like for real, like the for sure. But but the the way people reacted to, I would agree with you. The way people react, and I'm not a fan of Logan Paul or or Jake Paul. I don't like either of the Pauls, but I I the the re, you would have thought that that video was him just desecrating the graves of all of these people. It just wasn't there. It wasn't quite as yep. bad as everybody said it was. <laughs> exactly. And that just shows you how hypersensitive everything has become. And I just, I, my, my heart breaks for <clears throat> the world because I can just see the implications. Uh, you know, there's just so many implications of that in terms of you're just shutting down ideas. You know, we're, we're moving in the direction of a, uh, you know, I, I don't know what to call it. I'm, I'm being really careful with words I use these days. You know, it's like I don't want to use that word because somebody overreact to that or misinterpret again. Well, this is exactly why we're talking we, about. we wanted to talk about social media fatigue. And this is why I'm yeah, fatigued. Let's move on to that. Let's I'm, move on to that. This is why I'm fatigued with social media is because I feel like it has now become a whole other thing in your life that you have to worry about and put effort into and and keep up to date with and just I can't stand it. And so in the last year I haven't barely posted hardly anything on on Facebook and a little slightly more on Twitter because I feel like Twitter's more like I'm just recording these thoughts into the ether if that makes any sense. Like right. it's, it's less Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But Facebook for sure I've just been like this is just this is this feels like a total waste of time that like I'm you know, no matter what you do, you you make one. You know, if you make a joke, people are going to comment on it. And now, there's a big question. I've made one comment. I just made one. This is a great example of what I'm talking about. And I have a talent for this for some reason. But I t I commented at most comedy clubs, the waiter, the waitress is making more money than the comedian on stage. Think about that. And that's all I commented. I didn't say that was good or there's bad. Nothing, or... There's nothing wrong with that comment. I completely agree. Yeah. And I, it like a hundred comments later on that status, people were like, what the fuck is wrong with you that you don't think these people should be making money? And I'm like, where did I, I nowhere in this did I say that? Like, I think it's weird that somebody who has essentially very little talent can walk out with a bunch of money given to them by people who came to see the guy on stage and that guy or girl on stage has received almost none of that money. Like that's kind of fucked up actually, but right. I, I well, didn't they, say it, that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, there's there. I will say, I will say this. I'm just trying to see the other side. I will say this. If you made any mistake and you didn't, you know, let me be clear. You did not make a mistake, but if you did, it would be in the assumption that the world understands how poorly comics get paid. That that'd be the only thing that people yeah. might not know. So that would help them jump to that wrong conclusion. But again, you you didn't say anything wrong. But let's start. Let's 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 provide context to this. So what we want to talk about now is just you know. So as Brendan already mentioned, it social media fatigue, and and I think this is an issue that I'm running into. Uh, maybe I'm biased personally because it's affecting me so much. Because you know I went from being I would call my level of activity in social media almost unhealthy. And and it was like that for a long time. I mean, it really kicked into that mode in 2009. So from 2009 through 
I don't know, 2000, uh, let's say 17 ish from, so we're talking, you know, that's eight years, eight years. I was, you know, I was just on, I was living on social media and I don't want to get into all the particulars, but just trust me, I was. Mm. And, and I, you know, it was a combination of factors. It wasn't any one thing. Um, part of it was just actual, almost like physical fatigue. You know, it just, it takes a lot of energy to, to do that. No, for sure. And, 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 and then there's, uh, there's the, the stuff you were just talking about, which is the changing of our culture and the fact that, you know, things became so much more adversarial online and people misinterpreting and people, the whole, you know, the whole call out culture and cancel culture. And I, I think of it as almost like pit bull culture of, you know, okay, now here's where, here's where all the liberals pour in and attack this person, or they <laughs> cause this taco stand to be shut down in San Antonio, or this cake making place to be shut down in some other place. And seeing that happen over and over, I thought it's just a matter of time before there's a, there's a social media post out there with my name on it. That's going to be the end of me. I'm going to say something wrong at some point, And I'm very careful not to, but at some point I know me, I'll push the envelope and I'll get attacked by a thousand people and I'll have to delete, you know, my account. And, and, and I just, that just started to push me away. But Brendan and I have never discussed this topic before. We talked about it literally for 10 seconds before we started recording this. And I just simply said, Hey, I have an idea of social media fatigue. You want to talk about that? And he said, yeah, I do. So, so that's where kind of I am. It's like, I have just, I've decreased my activity from hyper level down to, I mean, I don't even know how many Facebook posts I made last year. I'd be willing to bet you it was less than 20. Yeah. And you have to understand that there were days when I posted more than 20 times on Facebook back at my peak. Oh yeah. I get this. This will, this will put it in perfect perspective for you. I, um, and, and it's funny because, you know, I've had some success in my life and, and, and one of the factors that I would point to as to one of the main reasons for it is social media. So this is very ironic and also very weird for me to be saying what I'm saying now. But, uh, the first the first manifestation of that was because I just had been like an, an idiot on Twitter in my first year on Twitter. I I was just somebody noticed that and invited me to come and speak on this tour in my I'm, I own a real estate company. So it was this social media thing. And I my first time I spoke, I was speaking in Seattle and a guy who ironically is now an actual billionaire for real was in the audience at the time he wasn't. And a guy, I'd met him a couple of times. And at the end of um, this, my, my presentation, there was a Q&A session. And this guy, he said, um, listen, uh, did you realize that you averaged 55 tweets per day over the last nine months? Oh, man. And that's, I said, that's um, so much. No, that's not possible. <laughs> that's not possible. And he goes, well, I'm looking at your Twitter account. And this is when you joined and this is how many tweets you've posted, and this is how many days there have been. So unless my math is wrong, you average 55, and it's hilarious because the Inman News, which is the number one news portal in the real estate industry, it was their tour. So they, you know, they were obviously writing articles about their own tour, and they wrote an article in, in which they talked about my presentation, and they quoted that exchange. They actually quoted this guy. His name is Glenn Sanford. 
He started a company called EXP, which has been the, the darling of the real estate industry for the past three or four years. He's now, I think, a billionaire. Anyway, um, <clears throat> they quoted him asking me that question, and then they quoted what he said and what I said. And it's just like, that's where I was. Wow. And now, now I'm a ghost. Yeah. So, so give me your two cents on this. I mean, what's been your arc? And, and again, I know you, you, you sort of addressed it a second ago, but give a more complete answer. Yeah, I would just say that it's the, the only the, – so the way that I use it now – I mean, the, maybe the easier way to, to talk about it is by talking about it, how I use it now and why I use it the way that I do versus what I used to do. And I'll talk about that in a second. Is that now I use social media for basically uh, one purpose. Uh, maybe a second, I'll say a second purpose also, but the the main purpose is for me to just connect with people who are high value people to connect with and to try to add to my network. So, which is like the most... And, and yeah, and it's great. It's great for that. It still is great for that. Yeah. I was going to say that's like the most corporate, like, <laughs> like guy wearing a fucking polar tech fleece vest with a you know <laughs> blue button down that i could fucking it's the most corporate answer but it's just true which is like i mean i've had some amazing guests on my podcast i still have some guests that i'm going to be recording with coming up in the next couple of weeks um who are amazing you know really high profile well-connected people and and that's all through social media it's basically been me reaching out directly on Twitter or on Facebook or on Instagram or on LinkedIn or on Quora or on YouTube or just like any of these platforms I'm able to get in front of somebody and and more often than not get a response. Uh, so that's what I use them for primarily. And then for the pushing and promotion of the things that I produce, that's the second thing. So sometimes on Twitter, that'll be jokes or just other sh observations and shit, but that's pretty much it. I, I, I don't use it for almost anything else. And what I used to use it for a lot was like thoughts and observations and, you know, posting photos and things that were like, here's evidence that I was at a cool place once. And I, honestly, I, it, that stuff is so fatiguing because it requires so much work and there's a lot of value that can come from it, but it requires a ton of work. And the thing that I've noticed just with myself is like, I you just, it's constantly exposing you to being attacked from other people. Like the, we talked about call out culture and it's like this, the call out culture and the cancel culture is at this point where if you just say the wrong thing, you're fucked and we just don't want to have anything to do with you. And, and, and the weird thing that's happening. And I think that this is what it's dangerous in social media is like it, it you have this track record and you don't know how the culture is going to change in the next few years. You look at Kevin Hart made one yep. joke about years ago, like 10 years ago, but he was like, was my son was gay. I'd pick up that dollhouse and smash it or something like that. And now is like no longer able to host, wasn't able to host the Oscars because he said this one thing, one joke for one second, 10 years ago. Like it, that, it, that is so fucking stupid. Like I can't even, it, 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 it's hard to even unpack how stupid that is, but that's, that's exactly the, what we live in. So it's, it's actually dangerous to post half thought out things. It's almost like you have to have your own press agent inside your brain 
vetting every single thing you could say to be like, can I possibly, how could this offend any group? Could this, and it's insane because we're not all political candidates. You know what I mean? We're not running for office. And yet like, this is exactly how everything is treated. So like, that's the way that mine has like shifted over the last few years. I got an even crazier story. I'll tell you this. I can't say this young woman's name, uh, but she, she, this is crazy. This even, even if you just Googled this story as I'm about to describe it in its broad strokes without giving you any proper nouns, you could probably still find it because that's how 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 big of a deal the story was. Even though she and her father and his family spent thousands of dollars to try to bury this story online, this actually happened. What I'm about to tell you. So I um interviewed. I was working in uh, downtown Chicago at a major marketing uh, firm and a young woman walked in and wanted a job on, in sales. And since I was the director of sales at this company, her resume found its way to my desk. And the thing that I should just let the listener know is that I super duper respect that kind of sand or that kind of moxie, however you want to describe it. Somebody who walks into a company and goes, I want a job and this is the job I want. That's like, I, I, I would hire you right on the spot. Like, so, so basically I was excited yeah, I to hire this. Too. Yeah. I, well, cause nobody does it like nobody ever. And it's weird. It, and I would say this, if you are, I've told this to a lot of people. Um, but if you are looking for a job that will work. And if you, and if it doesn't, if you walk into a company and they're like, Oh yeah, sorry, we have a process for this. <clears throat> it's probably not a place you want to work for anyway. Like it, nobody but nobody does those things and the people who do are the ones who end up leading teams because they have a lot of initiative and drive and they're and they're gonna i mean it just says so many good things about you but anyway right so so this woman comes in yeah so this woman comes in and does this um i give her a call back that afternoon as soon as i got the the time to do it i was like i we need to have you in here for an interview this is great she was over the moon. She's like, this is fantastic. Thank you so much. We go through this interview process. She's had recently graduated from college, had been out for about a year. She was still looking to get into a real corporate job. Um, you know, just everything was fine. She seemed totally great, very intelligent, uh, had a had a uh, you know, degree in, in business and marketing. And um and just at the end of the interview process, as I'm about to have her interview go on to the next stage to like interview a handful of people to make sure she's a cultural fit. She pulls me aside and she goes, look, I I have to tell you this. Um, She's like a few years ago, there was a series of very inaccurate, but very mean uh, stories that were written about me while I was in college. Um, And she goes, this is because I went to a party and we were dressing up as our friends and my friend, this is going to sound crazy, but this is just true. My friend, she blacks out at every party. Um, she's a white girl, but we call her Blackie because she blacks out all the time. I have, she puts on way too much makeup. So I have an insane amount of glitter on my face. Somebody takes a picture. And then on social media, somebody says it looks like I'm in blackface. The next thing I know, I'm on the front page of the student newspaper calling for me to be expelled from school and never let back in. And, She's like, this has followed me for the last three years, basically. Um, I almost wow. got expelled. They they were going to kick me out of the cl- school. 
conservative media picked up the story, which I didn't want to have happen either. And they were defending me. And like, she's like, I just kind of want this to go away, but I have to let you know about this because if you Google me, that's what will come up. And so sure enough, I look at the pictures online, which are all over the place. And it, it, there's no fucking way this girl did anything but exactly what she described. There's just there's just no way that somebody in 2017 could have gotten that particular thing wrong. Oh yeah, it's okay for me to put on blackface and go to a party. No 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 one but no one would think that that was okay. So there's and and you can tell just from the photos her story just checks out. It's exactly what she just said. And this poor girl has had her like life destroyed. Because of social media, basically. Those, it, uh, you know what I mean? 20 years ago, those pictures would have gone nowhere. They would have been in a shoebox underneath somebody's bed from a fun time they had at a party once. But now, they're on the internet forever. Because this uh, this poor girl made a dumb mistake. Now, I wouldn't even say dumb mistake. There's nothing that she could have... There's literally no such... I can't think of a way in which she could have thought, oh... How could this go wrong? <laughs> you know, yep. and this would no, come agree. to mind. <laughs> well, when you told the story, I, I was just sitting here thinking, okay, what's the punchline? What's the punchline? What's the punchline? I mean, not not because I was impatient. I mean, that's just intellectual curiosity. I was like, okay, I can't wait to hear how this ends. So when you ended it, I'm like, okay, that's it. That's the fucking story. That's the whole story. Yeah, that's because, the whole story. I mean your point is well made, which is if that's all it takes to, you know, and again, it's even hard for me to picture how that would wreck one's life. And yet I know it could, uh, she couldn't because, get, again, she couldn't get the, hired. The company, our company could not hire her despite my, despite me being like, what? I really think, yeah. Despite me being like, we, we, I really think we should hire this girl. The, it went up the ladder. It went, I'm telling you, let, let me describe to you how far up the ladder it went. I told this, so I, I said to her, look, I'm going to make a note to myself so that we have a record of the fact that you told this to me in the, at this point in the interview process. I'm going to tell it to no one else, um, and I'm making that decision f- for myself, and I'm going to have you interview with everybody else, and then I'm going to tell all of them before we finally hire you because you feel it's important that everybody should know this, and I think that for reasons that I think are warranted. She wants to be upfront about all of this. So, so that's exactly no, what I did. Totally respectable. Yeah, totally respectable. So we interviewed her. Everybody interviewed her. Everybody loved her. They all thought she was great. Um, they all gave her the thumbs up. People thought, wow. I mean, people consistently said things like, I'm amazed that she's not working for someone else right now. Like, she's really on the ball. She's on top of it. She's smart. She's all of this great stuff. You know, great marks in school good recommendations, like all of this. So then I tell my boss, and my boss goes, ooh, I don't know about this. Then he turns around and he tells his boss, who's the, who was the uh, executive vice president. Um, that guy goes, yeah, oof, I don't know about this either. He turns around and he tells the, C- the CMO of the whole organization, the global marketing head of that company, which is a company that had you know, something like 18 offices in 15 countries, like that can we hire this bottom of the rung person? Here's what you need to know. That person turns around and talks to the chief operating officer who's in charge of handling a lot of our client relationships. And that guy finally said, no fucking way. Nope. Sorry. This is just too, if somebody, one of our clients gets, uh, for some reason gets a hold of this 
and they don't like it, yeah. we could lose a client to another company. And which is a, uh, admittedly a realistic fear. Uh, but yep, it is. It, it totally is. But it made me feel like this is f- this is ridiculous. And to be perfectly honest, I think that was one of the things that contributed to me being like, I don't think I want to work at this company because if if if, if I have to work in a, and that's again, you know, there's a saying that I've been saying a lot lately, Uncle Mike, and I think you might like it, which is it's not a principle until it costs you something. And yeah. I no, yeah, that is good. That is good. And I thought to myself, I think me wanting to be at an organization that respects integrity and the integrity of others and good character is more important than an organization that that like just wants to keep its clients more than it does uh, want to foster good people. There's something about it. And I mean, I wouldn't say maybe you don't want to tease it out that much. Maybe it's like, ah, Brendan, it's that's ridiculous. Or every organization does it, you know, all this kind of, you know, whatever. There's a lot of ways to tease that out, but it just for me it put such a bad taste in my mouth that I think it's part of what ended up having me leaving that left that company. I think is because I just thought, how can we across the board all think that this girl is not only completely innocent of what she's being accused of on the internet, but also we all agree that she would make a great hire, and we can't do it because of some nebulous, vague, completely abstract reason that may or may not happen online. And I, that's the world we live in. That's how messed up. That's that's the social media fatigue. I think we're all tired of it. I agree. And if there's any good in this, it, it is that I. And again, I, I want to qualify this observation, and I, I don't even need to just because of the things I've already said. But I'm, you know, I used to think that I was a really good judge of, you know, where where the online discourse is at the moment. You know, what's the state of online interactions among people. I I used to think I had a really good sense of that. And because I've distanced myself from it now for, you know, I'll call it, it feels like mm, certainly a year, maybe more like two of what I would call radically less um, time spent interacting with people. Yep. Uh, I don't know that I trust my observations anymore. So I want to make that clear up front. But that said, I, I kind of do feel from what I do see that the pendulum may be starting to swing the other way. And what I mean by that specifically is I'm seeing a lot of people who are just saying, you know what? Fuck this. <laughs> yeah. Fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to say what I think. And if you don't like it, I don't care. This is what I think. And what I'm seeing is, uh, you know, there, and, and then not only that, that's like what I would call like a level one change of direction. Now I'm seeing people also coming in and supporting those people saying, you know what? I agree. You're right. Let's not be beaten down by the, you know, by the social justice warriors. Um, Let's just say what we, what we think and let the chips fall where they may. And then I'm also seeing that the attacks, and again, I want to be clear. It's not like I'm online doing this all day to really have a scientific you know, basis for this observation, but I'm, it's what I'm feeling. And I'm also seeing less attacks. I'm seeing less of the call out culture and attack culture and cancel culture. So, you know, maybe that's an accurate read. Maybe it isn't, but there was a time when I didn't think any of that, you mm. know, it was just like, Oh my God, run, run, <laughs> don't say anything. I'm not even going to touch this conversation. And, um, so, so maybe, maybe, and again, I could be totally wrong because I, I know what's going to happen here is, you know, it's funny because 
when we started this podcast, we had absolutely no intention of it being politically oriented. We had no intention really, period. It was just like we like talking to one another. We think we occasionally have interesting conversations. Of course, not this one. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but we just we just enjoy we enjoy talking and we thought maybe somebody else might enjoy uh, it as well. And because of the timing of when we started the podcast, it was right before the last election. Oh, yeah. And so we, we got drawn into politics just because that was the that was the thing at the time. And, you know, I was amazed because we had one of our shows. Actually, the, it was uh, it was called R.I.P. Journalism. It was just about, you know, how journalism was dying. And oh, my God, how much has that changed since then? We're talking yeah, right. four years ago. <laughs> You know, when uh, we started to see that uh, media wasn't being objective, oh, my God, it's now it's now openly, openly not objective. I mean, people aren't even pretending anymore, which is crazy. But my point is that I think there's such a thirst for this, all this stuff, because my, the point I was getting to there is that so on our RIP journalism um, podcast, we ended up reaching almost half a million people. And we had 21,000 shares. Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's, that's wrong. That's wrong. We had 21,000 reactions. So 21,000 likes or dislikes or whatever, you know, face, this is on Facebook. And we had over 5,000 shares of that podcast. And that's when I knew, that's when I knew without any shadow of a doubt that, you know, all of this stuff that we're talking about today, in my opinion, falls under that same basic umbrella Oh yeah. of this is this shit that's just affecting everyone. Because, okay, because no what doubt. made that viral? What made that viral? I mean, I think I think what we did there was good. Don't get me wrong, but it wasn't that as much as it was. Do we just chose the right topic at the right time? Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I think that people were really, I think people were really, and and are, I think, kind of really getting tired of this stuff, and it just feels like yep. there's, you know, there's not a lot of. Uh, I, the problem with it is I don't think there's a there's really you know what your options in the world today are basically like are you gonna it's like the it's like it's just become a part of our whole world and our whole culture and like what are you gonna not get on Facebook what are you crazy like <laughs> well dude I'm telling you that's what I really think is coming that's what I, I, I that that's that's what I think is going to ultimately happen yeah. is one of two things either there's gonna be um, well, you know what? I'm not going to say that because that, that, that doesn't make sense. What I was going to say was simply there'll be some new platform that rises up that doesn't have any biases built into it like it appears Facebook does. Yep. Um, but, but as soon as I thought that, then I thought, well, but that doesn't change human nature. Even if you remove that bias, you still have human nature to deal with, which is going to show through no matter what the platform. Mm. So all of this cancel culture and all that shit's not going to go away no matter what platform you're on. Yeah. So, so the, so the next thing I was going to say is, yeah, I really do think that's what's going to happen. I mean, that's what I've done. I, you know, I've, I've just ratcheted way down. I know a bunch of other people who have as well. And, you know, maybe the end result of this was, you know, 20 years from now, we'll look back and say, do you remember that whole social media shit? Yeah. And how everybody was on that how crazy that was? And, and everybody lost their yeah, fucking minds a wild for a while? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then there was, a, there was that riot. There was that civil war that happened. And. 2021 and 18 million people were killed in America by other <laughs> Americans. Um, and then, you know, 
martial law was established, and you know, then they, we, we got a new dictator. Thanks so and, much, uh, Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I, you know, I realistically, I don't think that's going to happen. What I am saying is that it could happen, uh, at least to enough. Like I, I'm thinking of it just from the perspective of just simple happiness, just simple happiness. Like you know, not to get off on this tangent, but real fast. So. Uh, uh, skipping 99% of the story, my mother now lives with me and yeah. she has for the past, I don't know what, eight to 10 months. And that has been, you know, uh, that's the topic for another day. But my point is she watches Fox news. Yep. And even though I am conservative and I, in fact, I would even go so far as to say, you know, aggressively conservative, I can't watch Fox news. And the reason that I can't watch Fox news is because in my opinion, Fox News is just as biased as CNN. Yeah, just in a different direction. And what I'm looking for is the truth. Yeah. I, I really want the truth. I'm not looking. I'm not looking to have my, you know, my 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 team's ideas reinforced. I just want the truth. I can't find it anywhere. So anyway, my mom watches <laughs> yeah, Fox yeah. every day. Yeah, and so I'm exposed to it a little bit. I mean, I, I typically I'm not in the room when it's on because I. I, I here's what happened. She shows up. I switch it over to Fox because I'm just trying to be, you know, a, a respectful son because I know that's what she wants to watch. And I say to myself, "Let's see how long I can last." And on most days, it is less than five minutes. It is literally less than five minutes. <laughs> oh no! Where I just get okay. That's no, 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 no. That's that's just CNN in the opposite direction. So I got to get up and leave because it just riles me up, and it makes me unhappy because it's like it's just a it's a rehashing and a repeating of shit I've heard a thousand times before. Yeah. I don't need to hear this every day. I don't need to hear it every damn day because it just poisons my soul. In fact, that's my expression to my mom. I say, mom, this is toxic to my soul. This is toxic. Even though I agree with both of what they're yeah. saying. Yeah, <laughs> because still... it's just so it's just so flatly like biased in the one direction. <laughs> yeah. And not all of it is. I want to be clear. Not all of it is, but enough of it is. That it's, I don't need, I just don't need that in my life. I just don't need it in my life. And that's what, I think that's what people are going to ultimately get to, is that they're going to have to get, they're going to make a decision, which is, am I happier with or without this, this thing in my life, this social media thing? And I can tell you that I'm definitely happier with a lot less of it in my life. Could I ever pull the plug? I don't know. I, I probably can't, to be honest. I, I don't think you can't. can. That's, I think, off, part of the problem. It cuts off too many people. Yeah. It cuts off too many people. But I do think that I th I think that you're right in that it just it, it it's like it just it's too I think we're all ready to I think we're all ready for right. that to happen though. Yeah, I think so, and it'll be interesting because again, I think it's going to get way worse as we roll into the election, and you know, again, I'm going to be staying even further and further away from oh, it boy. for that reason because <laughs> you know it's. Again, I'm so I'm so far removed. Like if you go back four years and how plugged in we were then. Oh yeah. You know, we we're talking about it constantly. We had a number of podcasts about it. You know, we even did a we even did a, a podcast. We each did our individual podcast on who we're voting for and why. why? Yep. And, and and I have no interest in doing that again because while I actually did enjoy it the first go round. I just know what it'll do to me. I know what it'll do to me on a human level. Yeah. And I just don't want to, I don't want to be that. I don't want to think that I don't want to feel that I'd much rather talk about stuff like the doctrine of charity 
or you know something like that where it's um it's not quite as polarizing and 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 maybe it helps somebody because I know when you introduced me to the idea of the doctrine of charity, it had an impact on me, and it really has influenced my behavior. Yeah. I find now that I frequently will think, okay, my honest reaction to what that person just emailed me is this, but I'm going to put on my doctrine of charity glasses, and, and I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to read it differently, and I, and I really do do that all the time. I, th- so I, I thank think you that's for that good because. That's valuable. Oh, it's great. No. And again, if, if, if one person listens to this podcast, well, that'll be a miracle in and of itself. <laughs> but if one person listens to this podcast and, and it has it, because you told me about the doctrine of charity and because it affected me so much that I wanted to talk about it here, that if that affects one person, honestly, uh, that'll be cool. Well, I think I it's good. It I think it's good for your own mental health. Like it's not just, yep. it's not just yep. that it's, you know, it's good for peop- other people in the world. I think it's good for you because as you're dealing with it, you know, as you're as you're going through your life, it it's not healthy to just be angry at stuff all the time and to just take a minute to be like, what could they have meant? Is like, I just I just think it's so valuable, you know. Well, it's it's I would I think of it as the way I have chosen to think of it myself is this, and let's end on this note because it's a positive note is. Um, Gary Vaynerchuk, who, you know, I, who I really do think is a brilliant guy and, uh, you know, his longevity, the fact that that guy cranks out, I mean, this guy's been putting out the highest level of content for, I mean, how many years has this guy been doing this? Dude, it's, it's insane. Crazy. Yeah. And the amount of, the amount of wisdom that I've heard him speak, it's, it really is impressive. And I, it's funny because I've had, I've had gone through a period of what I would call Gary V fatigue just like with social media, right? I've, I've gone entire years where I didn't even listen to anything he said. And then somehow I stumbled back onto him and it's like, shit, man, this guy's really good. Anyway, I think the single most powerful thing I've ever heard him say, and I've seen him say it a number of times fairly recently. And I took this to heart the second I heard it. I've been trying to live it. I'm not successful all the time, but it's amazing how if you really embrace this, it will change your life. And that is this, completely eliminate all expectations of other people. Mm. He says that is the number one key to happiness. And you know what? I agree. Because when you, when you don't have any expectations, people can't disappoint you. Yes, they true. can't. It's, so if somebody stands you up at the last minute, and they've done it to you before, and you know, you, your natural thought as a human is, oh, that motherfucker's trying to do it to me again. Yep. And then they do it. <laughs> now, if you don't have in your mind what Gary said, then you're just going to be pissed and disappointed and mad. But if you have that, like, deep in your soul, that you don't have any expectations. So when they cancel on you, that's okay. That really is okay. You're just moving on to the next thing on your list, and that's that. And it is amazing because I've done this successfully a bunch of times. It's amazing how much weight that will remove from you. You just mm. feel like a different person mm. because suddenly you're just no longer expecting anything. And when people do do what they tell you or, or you know, other things, you're just pleasantly surprised. It's no longer the creation of a negative uh, when they disappoint you. It's the creation of a positive mm. when they don't. 
So not then you're appointed rather than disappointed because you're like, oh yeah, somebody actually did the yeah. thing they said they were going to do. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean you you laugh at that, but I mean it. And I know you don't mean to laugh. I know you're not laughing at it, but I'm saying there is such power in that dude. Uh, there really is. And uh, and if you haven't ever thought about that, think about it and try like really do it. Like apply it somewhere because you'd just be amazed at like how freeing it is when. You know, when when you just you remove almost completely, not entirely, but you remove a 90 percent of your capacity for disappointment. I, I really like this because I feel like I I, I just uh, the number one thing and we can I, again, we got to end. But like with the number one thing that I notice with people who are really unhappy, especially in business, I, I call it founders syndrome is that the founders who are consistently frustrated and finding it difficult to work with others are the ones who just have really high expectations of everyone that they add to their team. And I'm constantly like, you know, my biggest lesson is like exactly what you said, which is like, nobody gets anything done. And if anybody does get anything done, it's a pleasant surprise. I mean, the biggest lesson that I've learned, and we talked about this before, is like, if you just get shit done, if you just get something done and, it get, and it's done well and on time... Like the barrier to entry of becoming one of the most successful people on the planet is really not that high. It's just literally just doing what I just said. <laughs> no, you're right. You're absolutely correct. And it's funny because, uh, you know, Gary has built um, <clears throat> a company that appears to be very successful, you know, VaynerMedia. And he talks a lot about that, the kind of thing you were just talking about there, like the, the founder syndrome. He didn't necessarily call it that, but same principle. I've lived that. I have lived that point you made. You probably were thinking of me as you said it. And if you were, I wouldn't have any, I wouldn't, I one, I wouldn't be surprised. And two, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have any ill will toward you because you're correct. Yeah. I have founded businesses. I suffer from that exact issue. And it is a reason why I basically got, I have gotten to the point where I've just said to myself, I'll never do that again. I'll never found another business again because I don't have the, I seemingly don't have the ability to shut that off. And so, yeah, I was constantly upset, disappointed, you know, just, I was mad all the time and it's, it was so unhealthy. And Vaynerchuk talks a lot about how he talks specifically about um, employing millennials. He talks a lot about just employing oh, we're people we're probably general. awful. <laughs> um, no, he didn't say that. He didn't say that at all. Uh, he just talks about the best way to, you know, to manage those people. And, and that's perfectly valid. I mean, there, you know, everybody, you know, that's another whole topic. My, but my point is that your point was excellent. That founder syndrome is a real problem for a lot of people. Certainly it is for me too. And, you know, there's just so much of life is, is it really is attitude, perspective, philosophy. Um, so maybe your dollars weren't entirely wasted in that education. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I think we need to stop now. Uh, otherwise, we're going to move on to other topics. And and uh, my AirPod, we're we're limited now by the the battery life of my AirPods. So basically, <laughs> so, I get this sound. Do you do you own them? Do you own AirPods? I don't know. Okay, well, there's a sound that you get when uh, when, when their batteries aren't. Yeah, and I don't even know how much time you have left. But basically, the sound is like a machine turning them off. It goes like doo 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 doo. Oh, no. And uh, and they never happen. They never happen in this at, at the same time in, in each ear. It's like one happens in your left ear, 
and then it'll happen again in your right ear. And they still go on, but I don't know how long they go oh, on. Oh, no. So, <laughs> so yeah. if you're listening. So this can cut off right now. If you're listening, uh, go ahead on, on Patreon and support us uh, <laughs> because we need yeah. to get better ear- AirPods for yeah. my uncle. <laughs> yeah, I need AirPod Pro if they have longer battery life. I don't know. But uh, everybody, thanks for listening. We really do appreciate your support very much more than you know we really love doing this and your support allows us to keep doing it and you know it'll keep us out of jail or out of detox or you know maybe neither but we'll see (laughs) so so thanks for listening and we will see you again soon uh tune back in for another episode of unc view you know at some point in the future i'm sure we'll be back at some point all right take care take care everybody thank you